0: I don't have a lot of photos of myself as a kid. In fact, my family does not have a tremendous amount of photos overall. That is because for a good amount of my life, my family did not own a camera. Now to younger people, this might sound crazy. Maybe even to older people, it's slightly crazy. Cameras have been everywhere for a very long time. But my family didn't have one. But that didn't mean I didn't want a camera. I had friends who had one and I was very jealous of them. So. I continued to ask for one. Then I started seeing commercials for this new type of camera, the Kodak disk. It was a portable camera, small, really kind of cool looking, unlike anything I had seen at the time. Now it always wanted technology before other people. So whatever lists, birthday, Christmas, anything that existed where I could put this on there, I did. And one Christmas, I opened my presents and I got a camera. It was a 110 camera, But I remember being very excited because I knew we had a school trip in the future that I would be able to take photos like everybody else. And let me just tell you something. When your family has not had a camera and you are a kid with no photo experience whatsoever, most photos you take are downright terrible. And I think most of the photos from that field trip are me about a hundred feet away trying to get the background of New York City with my friends in it, thinking, oh, I gotta get this building in the background, so let me get across the street and snap this photo. Now I'm telling you this story because it's hard to set the stage to talk about something like the Kodak Disk Camera when cameras themselves are so ubiquitous now. They are everywhere, and only a couple of times do we get moments that are truly revolutionary and exciting in photography. And we saw that with digital photography, we've seen that with mobile phone cameras. The Kodak Disk... And disc photography in general was one of these attempts that happened to take place during the 80s to redefine photography with something new something that would become very familiar to us so on today's show i'd like to talk to you a little bit about the kodak disc camera we'll talk a little bit about the company behind this camera we'll talk a little bit about the form factor the hope and optimism around the kodak disc camera and we'll discuss its failure We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show. Let's take a step back to 1972. That's when the camera that I would get was introduced, years before I would get it. Kodak introduced the 110 film cartridge in 1972 to complement their line of pocket Instamatic cameras. These pocket cameras were a huge hit and they would quickly supplant other small-format cameras that had come before it. And it triggered a boom in small-format cameras that would push cameras toward pocket-sized convenience that would have shocked consumers just a decade earlier. The disc film format, and the Kodak disc specifically, are stepchildren of cameras that used 110 film. You see, with portable photography becoming bigger, people started to think of cameras and film almost like an extra eye. It's kind of what they've become today. But even back in the 70s and 80s, people were thinking of cameras like this. So the idea was, if you could get the camera to be even smaller, then people would not just take more photos, but have a more convenient method to do so. In fact, an early introduction to the Kodak disc camera was done in Photography Magazine back in 1982. And it was actually called The Third Eye and was written by Arthur Goldsmith. Goldsmith took a Kodak disk camera with him in lieu of the much larger SLR cameras to feel the sort of unobtrusiveness of the Kodak disk camera. Something we could all feel nowadays, but was so new to people. And even for a professional photographer, this was very exciting. And Kodak itself was very excited about this idea. Everyone was reacting very positively to the Kodak disk camera. Vendors wanted to make film for it and cameras, and people were lining up to buy them. So in 1982, Kodak hit us with the Kodak disk. Kodak announces a whole new way to make pictures. Introducing disk photography. The beginning is this, a unique film disk. A disk so thin there's room in the camera for an array of precision electronics the new Kodak Disc Camera. Picture a brand new world. Press a single button and the new Kodak Disc Camera does it all. It reads the light, it knows when to flash, and can flash again in one and one-third seconds. It even advances the film disc automatically. So you can capture those wonderful moments you may have been missing the new Kodak Disc Camera. It's a, a brand new it's brand new to say that the Kodak Disc was a phenomenon would be almost an understatement. In 1982 alone, they sold 8 million Kodak Disc cameras, and they launched multiple models all at once, in the US and worldwide, branding them as the 2000, the 4000, the 6000, and the 8000. The higher the number climbed, the better quality of the camera, meaning it had more features. It started with just a disc camera with very basic features, such as a built-in flash, and went all the way up to the 8000, which is the one with the gold finish. If you ever look at Kodak disc cameras, you would see that. It was a good deal more expensive, but for the money, you got three-shot burst mode, so it could take multiple photos, a self-timer, and a built-in LCD travel alarm clock. To kind of make it so that these things were so accessible and I want to say thoughtless, all the Kodak disk cameras have a flash built in that is capable of firing every 1.3 seconds. And it had a built-in sensor, so you wouldn't even have to guess when to turn it on, or even worse, fumble in your bag to get a flash or a flash cube to attach to your camera. Fun thing that I learned while trying to fix a Kodak disk camera is that the strobe circuitry around the flash is very much a potential shock hazard. If you read the manual, it says, Do not disassemble or attempt to repair this camera. The voltages associated with the power source in this camera will, under certain conditions, present a potential shock hazard. Yes, that shock hazard is the photo flash capacitor, which is almost always charged to about 180 volts. It can be quite unpleasant. The form factor for the disc camera was unlike anything on the market at the time. It was flat. Something we're very familiar with now, but something cameras just didn't do. And because this was so different, of course, this made for some very compelling marketing. You just could look at it and know you were looking at something different. It was the vision of the future of photography. It almost had the dimensions of what we would see as a mobile phone, although Kodak often compared it to a pack of playing cards. So maybe Kodak had somehow glimpsed the future. They had taken their slogan that they've always had you press the button we do the rest, and taking it to its extreme. Here was a point-and-click camera that you didn't need to think about. Not only do you not have to think about its use, but it was also so small and the form factor was so good, you didn't even have to think about where it was. Unfortunately, while the look and feel of the camera seemed futuristic and it had really great features, it had two glaring issues. Firstly, try holding a disc camera and taking photos. The eyepiece goes over your eye your nose sort of sticks out the side it is not the most comfortable your hand sort of wraps around it to hit the button secondly it took terrible photos now to know why we need to look at the film of the camera and see how it takes photos the film comes in the form of a flat disc which is housed in a plastic cartridge these discs each had 15 10 by 8 millimeter exposures Those exposures were arrayed along the edge of the disc, sort of like the setup of a viewmaster reel. When you snapped a photo, the disc would rotate 24 degrees to the next exposure, and so on and so on, until you went through all 15 exposures. That might not be so bad, because while the exposures are smaller than normal film, the disc film had an advantage. It wasn't on a spool. Instead, it was flat, which had the potential for greater sharpness, over the bendy, spool-based film formats like you would get in a 110 camera, or even 35mm. Coupled with the promise of high-quality lenses, the disc camera should have taken photos that at least rivaled other portables. Sadly, when camera owners got back their photos, they noticed that the image quality was generally poor. Now, this wasn't just the fault of the smaller exposure. Some of that had to do with the technology and process used to develop the photos. Kodak created special six-element lenses to develop the film, but most labs didn't buy into the technology. Still, they wanted to make money to develop the photos, so they used their standard three-element lenses that worked on larger negatives. This was a huge gap in product fulfillment process, and the result was poor-quality photos from a camera that cost more than its rival portables. Add to that that... People developing the photos couldn't feed a roll of film in to be developed. Instead, they had to do it one at a time on these discs, and that slowed the entire process down. At the time of its release, Kodak was all in on the disc format. The chairman of Kodak at the time, Walter Fallon, referred to disc photo technology as the new engine that will drive amateur photography. So you might not be surprised to hear that other companies got in on the disc film and disc camera business. 3M, Fuji, and Konica all manufactured film under their own brand, and a slew of companies stepped up to make cameras. Now this is where I get to actually talk about one of what I think is the most interesting disc camera ever made, the Minolta Disc 7. This camera had a small convex mirror on the front plate, which could, now get this, with the help of a telescoping stick, allow people to take effective self-portraits. You read that correctly. In 1983, Minolta made a camera that could not only take selfies, but also had a selfie stick. Now, you can thank the invention of the original, non-modern selfie extender stick to Hiroshi Ueda, who was working at Minolta at the time. He was inspired when he was at the Louvre Museum in Paris and asked a child to take a photo of him and his family. When he stepped away to get his photo taken, the child ran away with his camera. Oweda said, The philosophy behind it was that I didn't need to rely on anyone else to take a photo. I could take a picture of myself whenever and wherever I liked. Very modern thinking. The extender was patented in 1983, but unfortunately, it was not a commercial success. This stick combined with a camera that doesn't take the sharpest photos didn't really inspire anyone to want to take photos with it. The idea itself isn't a crazy leap in logic to anyone who's trying to take photos. So years later, the thing we would call a selfie stick was reinvented without the knowledge of this original device. Now the Disk 7 has a bit of a cult following, but you can find it for sale online sometimes with the original stick. That's really what you want to find. They go for about $40 to $60 in working order online. So not too expensive to have something very odd. And when you pull one out, people will turn around and look at you when you try to use it. In 1982, when it was released, Popular Photography solicited feedback from amateur and professional photographers. And the response was mixed. George W. Ashton, who was the technical director of Patterson Products Limited in London, said, It's great that at least Kodak Eastman is promoting a system for amateur photographers that concentrates on quality and not convenience. They did what was right and not what was expedient. Henry Wilhelm, who is an expert on archival printing and materials, said, Other than the convenience of the clever built-in and always-ready electronic flash, I don't feel that the disc camera has much to offer. Due to the very small negative size, prints are more grainy than those made from one ten Coda color two film. While three by four inch prints made from disc negatives don't look bad, eight by tens leave a lot to be desired. Unfortunately for Kodak, they did go all in on the disc camera, and, according to an article I read in Popular Photography in nineteen ninety three, they opted to get out of the thirty five millimeter camera business at the time. Eventually, they would get back into it with cameras manufactured overseas, but by that point, others had taken the technological lead on a format that had way more of a future. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey there, baby. Listen to this. Now, you'll never look better with a Kodak so fine, makes you look so sharp when really it lets you shine you ought to be in pictures, that's why I'm gonna get you with the Kodak Disney. hey baby, where till you see the clear sharp color pictures you get with Kodak color VR disc film, Kodak's best disc film ever, oh yeah you got so much style with that silly old smile, I'm gonna get you with the Kodak test. and now, back to the show The disc camera would continue to be manufactured by Kodak throughout the 80s. Sadly, though, because of poor picture quality and poor reputation, by the end of the decade, they would stop making hardware. To support existing products, they would continue to manufacture the disc film right up until the end of the 90s. If you're a Disney fan, you might enjoy this. You might also know about this. In 1982, Disney opened Epcot Center, and because it was the park that embraced the future, it, of course, embraced the very futuristic disc camera. In fact, if you visited the park back then, you could buy the film and actually borrow a disc camera for your time in the park. They had these Kodak wheel guides that could teach you details about the Kodak cameras in film. It was a great piece of ephemera to take home. Now, what if you want to take photos with your disc camera, something that I am very interested in and have started doing recently? Well, nowadays no one is making disc film. So anything you find online is remaindered stock. The latest you're going to find it from is the 90s. And you might find it challenging to get the photos developed locally. Online, there are photo services that are promising high-quality prints and digital copies. But from what I've heard from people who've engaged with them, while they do deliver a good product, they are very slow to develop, and they really have you over a barrel here. They're the only ones doing it, so good luck. Like cracking open a new Coke, pulling out and snapping a photo with a disc camera instantly gives you an idea of what decade you're in, the 80s. People can get so wrapped up in the nostalgia for the era that people can forget, or never learn, how quickly opinion turned against these flat cameras. It was an interesting technology and a risk by a company that realized the advantage of portability which was an important component of amateur photography and ultimately would be the thing that would define amateur photography in the future. Sadly, they just did not reckon what a factor quality would play, and so no matter how cool something might look, it needs to get the job done. The disc camera just couldn't cut it, and now those of us who lived during its short run only have memories and grainy photos to remember it by. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, you can drop by the website at Retroist.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at Facebook.com Retroist and Twitter.com Retroist. The music you hear on the show is by Peachy. If you have musical needs, you can email Peachy at Peachy at Retroist.com. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. Convex Mira. Ooh. How New Jersey of me. <laughs> this has been a Retroist production. Goodbye.